I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, benefits and side effects of intravitreal triamcinolone. Visual acuity increased statistically significantly in the injected eye, and the difference in the change in visual acuity during follow-up was significant. First this. What could be better than listening to world leaders in ophthalmology talking about important clinical issues using the on-demand power of podcasting? How about getting CME credit for it? I am psyched to tell you that you will soon be able to get continuing medical education credit for doing just what you're doing now. As seen from here, the first podcast for physicians is about to become the first podcast to offer its listeners CME. I'll have more to say about CME at the end of this podcast. As seen from here. All the quality of a national meeting every week on your MP3 player. By the way, now would be a great time to subscribe. Did you know that you can get every episode of As Seen From Here as soon as it comes out and without ever having to visit a website? It's called subscribing and it's free. Each week, subscribers get As Seen From Here automatically loaded onto their iPods, MP3 players, and computers by using a program called a podcatcher. Go to asseenfromhere.com and click on the How Do I Listen button. Subscribing only takes a minute. Free podcatchers are available for Windows, Macintosh, and Linux computers. I put links to download an excellent podcatcher on the How Do I Listen page of asseenfromhere.com. Then, within hours of my podcasting an episode, you'll have it too. Intravitreal triamcinolone is being used to treat diabetic macular edema, exudative age-related macular degeneration, uveitis, cystoid macular edema, and a variety of other conditions. But efficacy and complications have been variable, and an appropriate therapeutic dose has not been clearly established. My guest today, Yost Jonas, has recently published two papers on the use of intravitreal triamcinolone. The first of these examines intraocular pressure elevation associated with intravitreal triamcinolone injection, and the second with the use of intravitreal triamcinolone to treat exudative age-related macular degeneration. I asked Dr. Jonas to describe the first of these studies. Uh, Most of these studies, uh, also of the other triamcinolone studies from Mannheim, are case series studies. That means they were prospectively designed but included the old patients who received the treatment. And the study on the intraocular pressure response after triamcinolone was, at least the latest paper, was a meta-analysis of some other previous studies on different diseases like age-related macular degeneration, diabetic macular edema, central or branch retinal vein occlusion, and uveitis. And we put all the data together, updated them, and then we looked for the intraocular pressure after the injection. Just, I know that you mentioned several pathologies. What were the indications for injection of triamcinolone in these study patients? Yeah, the two leading indications were diabetic macular edema and exudative age-related macular degeneration if a photodynamic therapy was not indicated or was not possible. Other reasons, but with much lower frequency, were central retinal vein occlusion, branch retinal vein occlusion, persistent pseudophagic cystoid macular edema, uveitis, sympathetic ophthalmia, and uh, yes, that were the main indications. There were more than 300 eyes or almost 300 patients included in the study with a minimal follow-up of three months. How was the triamcinolone prepared? 
When we started with the trimcinolone injections almost six years ago, that was still an unknown land. And we thought, and we also had heard from Robert Machama, that the preservative, the benzoyl alcohol, may be toxic. And then we started to remove the trimcinolone, uh, to remove the alcohol by um, taking out of the ampoule about 0.6 milliliters after shaking, then we filled up the tuberculin syringe up to one milliliter with ringer solution. Then we took a five micrometer millipore filter and we pushed the content of the tuberculin syringe through the millipore filter uh, and left 0.2 milliliters in the syringe. Then we filled up the syringe again to one milliliter with ringer solution and we repeated the filtering process three times. At the end, we had 0.2 milliliters left, mostly with the crystals, and the benzoyl alcohol mostly removed. This was how we did it, and then also the pharmacy started to take over the job, and they then analyzed how much trimcinolone was left. There was about 20 milligram left, and the concentration of benzoyl alcohol was very low. So that at the moment we say that if we remove 25 milligram trimcinolone out of the bottle, and then after the washing and filtering procedure, there may be about 20 milligram left ready for injection. Can I have you describe your injection technique? Yes, that's easy. It's done on, in tropical anesthesia under sterile conditions in an operation theater just at any other intraocular procedure. We first do a paracentesis to remove some aqueous humor to make some space in the eye. And then we take the tuberculin syringe with the 0.2 milliliter prime cinnamon. We use a 27 gauge needle. We remove the air out of the needle uh, with the needle upside. Then we turn the hole upside down and we shake the prime cinnamon so that the crystals come close to the needle. And then we inject with a needle through the pass planar in the temporal inferior quadrant into the center of the vitreous cavity in a distance of about 3 to 3.5 millimeters from the limbus. If it's phakic, then the distance to the limbus is about 3.5 millimeters, and if it's aphakic, then it's about 3.0 millimeters, more or less, depending on the whole size of the globe. The reason for the paracentesis was to prevent CRVO. Um, yes, the problem is um, the eye cannot accommodate 0.2 milliliter additional volume. It's impossible to inject it. If one injects 0.1, that may be possible, but 0.2 is no use. Therefore, one has to partially evacuate the eye to make some space, and then one can inject 0.2 milliliters. But even using the paracentesis, we observe a reflux of fluid from the vitreous space about in about one-third of the patients. However, this vitreous reflux may have a positive side. It may lead to a, a posterior vitreous detachment. And a posterior vitreous detachment may be beneficial in patients with diabetic macular edema. And additionally, after now more than 1,200 injections, we have not seen yet a regmatogenous retinal detachment that could be attributed to the intravitreal injection. Did any of the patients have glaucoma or ocular hypertension before steroid injection? 
Yes, there were some ocular hypertensive or even some patients with primary or secondary chronic open angle glaucoma, and they also received the triamcinolone if their central region was threatened by a macular disease. And also these glaucoma patients and the ocular hypertensive subjects could show an increase in intraocular pressure. The statistical analysis was not quite clear whether indeed a pre-existing glaucoma is a risk factor for increased IOP. So that at the moment we still continue to use triamcinolone even for patients with glaucoma if the macula is threatened and if triamcinolone may be of help to treat the macular disease. Were any of the patients known steroid responders? Yes, there were two steroid responders. What was the length of follow-up? The minimum was three months, and the mean follow-up was at 10.4 months, with the median at about eight months. Maximum follow-up was uh, 36 months. How did you manage increases in intraocular pressure? If the IOP was elevated, let's say if it was 22 or 23, nothing was then just only observed and uh, the patient was asked to return later, four weeks later, or to see an ophthalmologist at his home. If the, pressure, if the IOP was higher, then one just started with a quite a normal topical anticlocomatous treatment, just to mention eta blocker or uh, prostaglandin derivate. Uh, mostly one started with a beta blocker because they are cheaper. We have not seen a marked difference between prostaglandin derivate and beta blockers. However, this has not systematically been evaluated. So you treated with topical medications if the pressures were greater than 25 to 27 millimeters of mercury. Did any of the patients have uncontrolled pressures despite maximal medical therapy? Did any of these patients need filtering surgery? Yes. Uh, the maximum pressure we have seen was around 65, and that was really threatening high. And these patients underwent uh, filtering surgery. And as rule of thumb, about 1% of the patients who received triamcinolone eventually underwent filtering surgery. What were the indications for filtering surgery? The filtering surgery indication was either if there was if uh, glaucomatous optic nerve damage developed, uh, particularly a change in the appearance of the optic nerve head, or if there was pre-existing glaucoma if we saw a progression of already pre-existing glaucomatous optic nerve damage, or if the pressure, let's say, continued to be higher than 40 despite maximal anticlocomatous treatment. That were usually the reasons to suggest filtering surgery to the patients. How many patients experienced an increase in intraocular pressure? If one defines an elevated intraocular pressure as any measurement during the whole follow-up of more than 21 millimeter mercury, then that were 112 patients or 41% who showed an elevated IOP. That means if the patients, let's say, had 10 follow-ups, if one was higher than 21, then this patient was positive. And about 11% of the patients had a pressure of 30 millimeter mercury or higher. Intraocular pressurements higher than 40 millimeter mercury were measured in five patients or about 2% of the patients. What was the mean increase in intraocular pressure? The mean increase in intraocular pressure from baseline to the highest measurement during the whole follow-up was a 7 millimeter mercury increase from a mean of 15.3 millimeter mercury at baseline to 22.3 millimeter mercury during follow-up. 
An elevation in intraocular pressure of more than 10 millimeter mercury compared to baseline was found in 22% of the patients, or 61 patients. An IOP elevation more than 15 millimeter mercury was found in 11% of the patients, and a rise in IOP of more than 20 millimeter mercury was found in about 6% of the patients. Did the clinical indication for triamcinolone injection correlate with the degree of intraocular pressure rise? Say, did the patients with exudative age-related macular degeneration experience a greater intraocular pressure rise than patients with pseudophagic cystoid macular edema or diffuse diabetic macular edema? No, there was no difference in the amount of IOP elevation between the patients with diabetic macular edema the patients with exudative age-related macular degeneration or the patients with branch retinal vein occlusion or pseudophagic cystoid macular edema. However, the only detected statistically significant risk factor for the IOP rise was young age. And the uveitic group had significantly younger age than the rest, so that the patients with uveitis tended to have higher IOP than all the rest. Uh, but this may have been due to uh, the younger age and not to the disease itself. It's interesting that you mentioned that the patients with uveitis experienced a greater elevation, a trend toward uh, a greater elevation in intraocular pressure. We had on this podcast uh, several months ago Nancy Holkamp, who described intravitreal implantation of a device that released steroid for patients with choroidal neovascularization and found that uh, all, all of these patients uh, experienced a, a substantial increase in intraocular pressure. And she, she contrasted this with a, 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 a previous study that had looked at implantation of the same device in uveitic patients and found that in patients with uveitis that there was a substantially less increase in intraocular pressure. And, and, and that, that contrasts with your, with your data here, where uh, you found that the uveitis patients experienced a, a trend toward a, a greater elevation in intraocular pressure uh, than, the, than the other groups. Yeah, but um, also our group of patients with uveitis was one of the smallest ones. And therefore, if I say or think that uveitis or younger patients with uveitis may, be a, may have a higher risk for IOP elevation, this is statistically not a very uh, solid base. However, independently of the disease, younger patients in our statistical analysis had a statistically significant higher chance to get a higher IOP. I found it particularly interesting that a history of glaucoma or ocular hypertension or even known steroid response did not correlate with the degree of intraocular pressure elevation in these patients. Did gender or refractive error matter with these patients? The IOP response of the trimestinoma was independent of gender, refractive error, also independent of the presence of diabetes. Diabetes was not a risk factor for high IOP after trimestinoma. When does the intraocular pressure peak? When does it start going up and when does it return to baseline? Statistically, there was already a significant increase in the mean value after one week. However, clinically, one usually does not see an, an IOP higher than 21 
within the four weeks after the injection. Usually, it takes two to three months to see the IOP rise, and some patients develop the IOP rise even six months after the injection. With a higher dosage that we take of about 20 milligrams, the pressure came down about six to nine months after the injection, parallel to a decrease in the vision increase. That means the duration of the effect of trimcinolone used in a dosage of about 20 milligrams for intravitreal application is about six to, uh, six to nine months with respect to its effect and with respect to its side effect. Can you see the triamcinolone crystals in these patients? Yes, one sees uh, such a white powder or white, white crystals at the 6 o'clock position in the pre-retinal vitreous space. And for how long can you see these crystals? Usually these crystals were gone six to nine months after the injection. So that the saying is that as long as one sees the crystals, as long as there is triamcinolone. Is 20 milligrams of triamcinolone a lot of triamcinolone? Most publications and most centers worldwide use a dosage of about 4 milligrams, and only few centers use a dosage of about 20 milligrams. Concerning the publications, I think that uh, our Mannheim group is the only one or one of the few reporting about the use of 20 milligrams. I know some from some other colleagues who also use 20 milligrams, but they don't um, write up scientific papers. Uh, also, the dosage is about five times higher than the dosage of 4 milligrams is used in most centers in the U.S. The amount of complications does not seem to be markedly higher. However, the duration of complications, that means the duration of an IOP elevation, is considerably longer with a with higher dosage. Joost, I'd like to move on to the paper in the June American Journal of Ophthalmology, Interide Difference in Exudative Age-Related Macular Degeneration with a Minimally Classic or Occult Subfovial Neovascularization After Unilateral Intravitreal Injection of Triamcinolone. Can I have you describe the design of the study? Yes. As it was in... Um, let's say, interventional, comparative, non-randomized clinical trial. That means that the study included 20 patients with bilateral exudative age-related macular degenerations. These patients consecutively received triamcinolone. That means patients with unfavorable results were not left out. That means the word consecutive. And all these patients received triamcinolone into one eye only. Usually the eye which was more severely affected or which showed a more pronounced progression of the disease. And then we compared the injected eye with the contralateral non-injected eye within the same patients. What was the mean age of the patients? The mean age of the patients was 78 years, ranging between 57 and 92. How did the patients respond to triamcinolone? Visual acuity increased statistically significantly in the injected eye, and the difference in the change in visual acuity during follow-up was significant. That means the injected eye is significantly better than the contralateral non-injected eye. What was the duration of the effect? Uh, the duration of the effect is usually about six to nine months if the dosage is used at about 20 milligrams. An increase in best visual acuity during follow-up was found in 18 of the 20 eyes which got an injection, that is 
in 55% of the eyes, visual acuity increased by at least two Snellen lines, and in 35% of seven eyes, visual acuity increased by at least three Snellen lines during follow-up. In the control group, visual acuity at baseline and the highest visual acuity measurement during the whole follow-up did not vary significantly. That means there was no increase in visual acuity. And on an individual basis, uh, 5 or 25% of the eyes in the control group showed an increase in visual acuity by at least two lines. This was significantly less than in the study group of the eyes who received the trimcinolone. How do your data compare with those of previous studies? Generally spoken, the single use of trimcinolone for treatment of exudative AMD has been very controversial. Uh, there has been a very, very conducted and designed study by Gillis and colleagues from Sydney uh, who included patients with uh, exudative AMD of the classic type. And they injected 4 milligram trimcinolone and had a study group of about 70 patients and a control group of about 70 patients. It was a prospective randomized uh, control trial. And at one year after the injection, study group and control group did not differ significantly in visual acuity. There was, however, a significantly smaller neovascular membrane in the study group compared to the control group at three months after the injection. And those days, when the study was published, the conclusion of the authors was that 4 milligram trimcinolone may not be very helpful for the treatment of sedative AMD with a classic type. However, if one takes into account that the authors included patients with the classic type, which is more unfavorable, let's say, than the occult type or an RPE detachment, if one considers that they injected 4 milligram and not 20 milligram trimcinolone, and especially if one considers that they looked at the patients one year after injection and not two or three months after the injection, then one may also say and conclude that if, the, if Mark Gillis and his colleagues had used a higher dosage, if they had also included patients with the occult type of exudative AMD, and if they had included measurements obtained at two and three months after baseline, then they might have been able, perhaps, to find significant differences between study group and control group. Other studies using trimcinolone for treatment of AMD mostly come from Mannheim. All the studies suggest that trimcinolone may be more or less a bit helpful. However, these studies have not yet really been confirmed. Uh, there's a big discussion if uh, photodynamic therapy can and should be combined with trimcinolone. There are two landmark papers by Richard Spade simple case series studies on a relatively small number of subjects. But in these two landmark papers, Spade strongly suggested that the combination of trimcinolone with photodynamic therapy may be useful to get a better visual outcome and additionally to reduce the number of repeated uh, photodynamic therapies so that at the moment, according to some estimates, about 90% of all photodynamic therapies in the United States are combined with the trimcinolone. But this is off-level use 
and has not been based on a randomized controlled trial. Tying in the first paper that we spoke about to this paper, how does the duration of the effect on visual acuity correlate with the duration of increase in intraocular pressure? The duration of the effect of trimsinolone on vision is parallel to the duration of the effect or side effect of trimsinolone of intraocular pressure. That means using the high dosage of about 20 milligram, one can see an increased IOP for about six to nine months. And simultaneously, if there's an increase in visual acuity, then one can see the increased visual acuity also for a similar period of about six to nine months. Joost, have these papers changed the way that you practice? Yes, without doubt. Because for the first time, uh, macular diseases become treatable. But it is not only the trimsinolone, but at least in my eyes, is even more important is a change in the paradigm. You know, about 40 years ago, when during cataract surgery, the vitreous body prolapsed, one didn't touch it because one should not touch the vitreous. Then Robert Machmer came and introduced pasplanar vitrectomy into clinical ophthalmology and showed us how to deal with the vitreous and how to cut the retina and so on. Interestingly, it was again Robert Machmer who again changed the paradigm that now one can say one can use the vitreous cavity as drug reservoir, for example, for trimsinolone, for example, for slow-release devices with uh, steroid, but also for antibiotics for any kind of drug. This now enables the ophthalmologists to treat intraocular diseases locally to achieve unbelievably high concentrations of the drug almost without systemic side effects. Just to give an example, the eye makes out about one ten thousandth of the whole body volume. If now we inject 20, or let's say 25 milligram trimsinolone, which is not so much the equivalent dosage of trimsinolone injected into the gluteal muscle would be a quarter of a kilogram, just by multiplying 25 milligram times 10,000. This shows which extremely high, so far unbelievably high concentrations of a drug, trimsinolone or any other drug, can be achieved just by using the vitreous cavity as drug reservoir. And this may open completely new avenues. Just to mention, if you have a glaucoma patient taking five drops a day with not extremely high compliance, would it not be better to inject once a year the glaucoma drug into the vitreous cavity with a slow-release device compared to taking five drops every day. This would make the pharmacokinetics completely different. And this, I think, is the main part of the whole trimsinolone studies. Joost, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Ciao. Joost Bionis is chairman of the Department of Ophthalmology at the Faculty of Clinical Medicine Mannheim of the University of Heidelberg, Heidelberg, Germany. The first paper we discussed, Intraocular Pressure Elevation After Intravitreal Triamcinolone Acetonide Injection, was published in the April 2005 issue of Ophthalmology. The second paper, Inter-Eye Difference in Exudative Age-Related Macular Degeneration with Minimally Classic or Occult Subfovial Neovascularization after Unilateral Intravitreal Injection of Triamcinolone Acetonide was published in the June 2005 American Journal of Ophthalmology. 
Now more about CME. As seen from here is going to roll out its CME project in phases. Initially, you will need to print out CME quizzes and mail them in for grading. Then, a few months later, we plan to go to an all-electronic format in which you'll be able to take the quiz and print out your CME certificate right online. Each As Seen From Here program will get you one half hour of CME credit. The quizzes and certificates will cover blocks of four programs for a total of two credit hours. You can download any programs you've missed by going to asseenfromhere.com and clicking on the Programs button. As Seen From Here, all the quality of a national meeting every week on your MP3 player. Ask questions of Dr. Jonas or of any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.